Well, what a great morning. So glad that you're all here. Uh, I wanted to introduce a friend of mine. His name is Alex. He's in the back. Alex, stand up for a second. Let's give Alex a hand. So just tell you a little bit about Alex. Alex is from Ethiopia, and he actually does missions trips to Ethiopia. And we were talking about that sometime. But I met Alex walking around the RSM Lake. I'm not the RSM Lake, the Mission Viejo Lake. That's, that's where I live. And uh, so one of the things Michelle and I do is every single morning, you know, we want to be healthy and exercise and stuff. So we try to walk the, the Mission Viejo Lake every single morning. And what we do is we just, we talk about life. Uh, we pray for each other. We pray for people. And um, we look for opportunities to connect and to share the gospel with people. And uh, the cool thing about Alex is he works, he, he's, he, he works there at the, uh, at the lake. And <laughs> Alex is always super friendly. And he would see us walking around the lake. And he actually was trying to reach out to us to share the gospel with us. <laughs> and I just think that is so awesome. Like if you're going to be a missionary somewhere else, you should be a missionary at home. And I love that about Alex. So give him a hand. He was trying to, trying to help me and Michelle come to know the Lord. And it was so exciting when we found out that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we noticed him waving from his, his, and we were praying for him. We're like, hey, Lord, allow us to talk to him too. So we both have the same things in mind. Anyway, thank you for visiting us today. It's so good to have you. Um, so uh, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Now, we celebrated the Lord's Supper on Palm Sunday. And that was so good. It was the first Sunday of the month, which is when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And then just a few days later, it was good. Friday, and we always celebrate the Lord's Supper on Good Friday. We're remembering that Jesus died. And then today, I'm actually teaching on one of the main Lord's Supper passages out of 1 Corinthians. And so we have to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, too. Um, a church that I went to uh, when I was a new believer, we celebrated the Lord's Supper every single week. And I really liked it because one of the things that we do as we're celebrating the Lord's Supper is we evaluate ourselves. We think about our life. And it was so helpful for me to only have a week to think about and to pray about. And then the next week, you know, it's now I'm like thinking about it for a month. Well, I don't know. Um, so I, there's something good about share, uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper all the time. One of the challenges with that, though, is that if you do something all the time, it, we just get used to it and we stop thinking about it. And so for us, we've chosen to celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month because we don't want it to just be this thing that we don't think about, but we also want it to be something regular. So we get a taste over this season of doing it a little more often, which is wonderful. Um, so uh, I want to start this morning by uh, just considering uh, our church doctrinal statement. So um, our church, we have 10 doctrinal statement points, and one of our points, the seventh one, talks about the church, and it actually talks about the Lord's Supper, what we believe about that. So I just figured, hey, we're, we're uh, teaching on the significance of the Lord's Supper. That's our topic for today. We'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 34. But I want to just look at what our doctrinal statement as a church, what do we believe about the Lord's Supper? And uh, so this is the uh, doctrinal statement. I'm going to read the whole point, even though it's the second half that is about the Lord's Supper. But it just says, we believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. 
So the church is not an organization that you, that you join. It's not like the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, or you know, any other kind of an organization that a person might join. The church is actually people who are genuinely saved. And uh, there's often people don't understand that. So you can be a part of Foothills Church, but what makes you actually a, a real part of the church is that you're a Christian. And so that's what makes the church. And it says, they are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is head. So who's in charge of the church? Jesus. This is Jesus' church. So there is a sense in which this is my church. It's where I go. This is your church. It's where you go. So from that perspective, like we're a part of this. But when you think about who owns this church and who's in charge of this church, it is Jesus. He is the head of the church. The true church is manifest or shows itself in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. So when you want to go through the new members class, which we just had a group of people who went through the new members class, one of the things that we do, we talk about all the things that the church believes, and we talk about what it means to be a part of the church family, but it ends by everybody talking about and sharing how they came to know Christ. Because you can't be a member, you shouldn't be a member of a local church if you're not actually a part of the universal church, if you're not actually a Christian. And so everybody's welcome at Foothills. I mean, if, if somebody came to this church and they were not a Christian, we would happily welcome them. We, we would say, hey, come hang out. Be a, part of our, be a part of our family. We love you. Do the things that we're doing. But you're not actually a part of the church in the true sense if you don't have a relationship with Christ. So then the second half, this is the part that, so that was all for free. This is the part about the Lord's Supper. It says the Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not a means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. So, confirm. You know, when uh, our denomination redid its doctrinal statement, I love our doctrinal statement. I, I love the EFCA. But I actually went to a meeting and I said, Let's, can we not put confirm in there? Because confirm carries with it uh, a lot of like other kinds of ideas. And I, I thought we should phrase that differently. And they, they chose to phrase it this way. And there's nothing wrong with what it means if it's understood correctly. So baptism confirms the believer. And what that means is that what saves you actually is when you put your faith in Christ, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit puts you in the body of Christ. That's, uh, that's in uh, Peter where it says baptism now saves you. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves a person. And Peter says this, he says, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. What does that mean? Not water baptism, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience, which comes through the Holy Spirit. So water baptism is a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens to every person the moment they become a Christian. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. 
If you are a Christian, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, a public proclamation of that is to be baptized in water. So if you're a Christian, you should get baptized. And we're going to have a baptism coming up pretty soon. So if you haven't done that, you can sign up and actually do that. And so that is a confirmation. That is a testimony. It is a validation of the fact that you are a Christian. And then it goes on and it says these ordinances confirm, that's baptism, and nourish the believer. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the same way that we are nourished on the Word of God, one of the things that Jesus says is man shall, remember uh, in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the same way that when you and I read the Bible, God nourishes us through the Holy Spirit in our soul. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, thinking about who Jesus is and what he has done nourishes us. But there's nothing magical about the elements. It's not like our faith is not in bread. Our faith is not in the juice that we drink. Our faith is in what Jesus did and these elements remind us of that. And often, baptism is de-emphasized in the Christian church because there are people who think that water baptism removes your sin. The Lord's Supper can be de-emphasized in the Christian church because there are people who believe that when we pray over these elements, they turn into the body of Jesus, it turns into the blood of Jesus, and by eating it, the, the very act of eating it removes our sin. Like the same sin that is removed at baptism and then we sin more and then we have to go to church and we have to take the Lord's Supper because baptism removes our original sin and then when we take the Lord's Supper, every time we eat that bread and drink the cup, it removes the sin that we've done since then. That's what some people believe and that's not true. And so what's happened is in a reaction to that, people have de-emphasized, Christians have de-emphasized the Lord's Supper, and we should not do that. And hopefully today will help us prioritize the Lord's Supper the way that we should. Now I wanna just mention something else. It uses the word ordinance in our doctrinal statement. So there's an ordinance, and have you ever heard of a sacrament? So a sacrament can be something sacred, but often sacrament brings with it the idea that these things in and of themselves remove our sin. They make us sacred. So as, as Protestants, we don't say sacrament because for many, not everybody, but for many, that's what that means. All those, that wrong doctrine that I talked about gets attached to the word sacrament. So we call it an ordinance. Now, there are city ordinances, right? So an ordinance is just a law, it's a rule, it's something that we've been told to do. And this is an ordinance, it is something that Jesus commanded. This is something that we do out of obedience because he says to do it. It is not something that in and of itself makes us holy. So here, I'm gonna give you an illustration, right? So. When I was in high school, I was in sports and I had this letterman jacket and I had patches all over this jacket. 
And, and it said undefeated Golden League champion, and then it gave like the, the year that I was a champion, then the next year I was undefeated. And so they put that patch on there. I got the patches all over my jacket. And for every year I did this wrestling, my, my sport, I was always the undefeated champion in my league. And, uh, but here's the thing about that. Those patches on my jacket were not what made me undefeated. I got those patches because I was undefeated. Now, if, if I, like, I was never the state champion, but you want to know something? I could get online. Uh, I don't know if they had online back. No, they did not have online back then when I was in high school. But I could go to a sports store, and I could order a, a patch of California, and we would stick it on our elbow, and it could say, California State Champion. And I could sew that on my jacket. But it wouldn't mean anything, because I'm not actually the California State Champion. And it's interesting, because you'll say to people sometimes, hey, are you a Christian? And they'll say, well, I was baptized. And, and they'll say things, and I just say, it was like somebody saying, hey, did you win league? And if I said, well, yeah, I got a patch right here. It says I won league. Um, the, the issue is that when celebrating the Lord's Supper and when being baptized reflects something that really happened in your life, it is meaningful. So your baptism is meaningful if you're a Christian. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is meaningful if you're a Christian. But if I go to a garage sale and I see some trophy that says state champion and I buy it and then I take it to my college um, interview and I say, I'd like a sports scholarship. Look, I have a trophy. Are they going to go, cool, the guy has a trophy, he gets in. Um, it doesn't matter if you have the trophy. It doesn't matter if you got baptized in water if it's not something real in your life. And so that's the challenge with these things is we need to take them seriously. But a person who feels like, I've talked to parents who are like, I gotta get my kids baptized. I'm like, no, you need to get your kids saved. And, and, and people who they want these things so they can feel better about their life. These things are ordinances and we celebrate them. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about these things with that understanding. So if you have your Bibles, Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to start in verse 17. So before Easter and before you Sunday, uh, we did a passage on unity. And it actually is right before this passage. So I'm going to read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. It says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, like this is a unity, this is them gathering together. One of the reasons we know that they're talking about the church is he says, when you come together. So we've all come together today. And so that's a physical thing, but that also should be a spiritual unity when people are coming together. And he just says this, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So Paul's going to say, you're celebrating of the Lord's Supper when you gather together on Sunday mornings is not good. It's actually bad. So he's going to talk about how bad their celebrating of the Lord's Supper is. It's just crazy. People come to church and like, man, I got to go to church and I got to take the elements because that's going to be spiritually beneficial for me. And Paul tells them, if you do it wrong, it's not good for you. It is bad for you. And we're going to look at the passage later that 
this morning that describes that. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And he says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So conflicts in church often display who knows the Lord and who does not know the Lord. And there are people that in their conflicts, hey, we have challenges and we have difficulties. Hey, there are challenges and difficulties in marriage, right? And so we're going to do a marriage class. That's going to be awesome. Uh, It's going to be a really good thing to be a part of. But your relationships with human beings reflect your relationship with God. Uh, When it comes to marriage, uh, we submit to one another um, in, in reverence to Christ so your, the quality of your marriage is related to your relationship with Christ. And so, and the same thing in church, your relationships with people are an expression of your love for Christ. When you hate people, when you f- refuse to be reconciled with people, people who live their life like that, it is a very big question mark. Are you a Christian? And there's tons of religious people who are in church who are dominated by a disobedience in God toward other people. And and one of the things Paul says here is, hey, divisions happen so we can know who's real and who's not real. And when we see that, by the way, relational problems, uh, we should pray for the people who are having relational problems. And we should, because that is a serious thing. And Paul's going to talk about that here in this church. By the way, that's true also of your marriage relationship. (laughs) You should take that seriously because that is a reflection of God working in your life. So he goes on, verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. See, they showed up and they ate the Lord's Supper and Paul says that when you do it the way they're doing it, it's not actually even the Lord's Supper. This is only the Lord's Supper if we do it with a right heart. And then it goes on and it says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Selfishness. Somebody's showing up and getting what they want. Or one goes hungry and another gets drunk. Like they're coming to church drinking the wine and they're getting drunk. We use grape juice. Not that there would be anything wrong with using wine. Um, But they were using wine and they actually got drunk. And he says, what? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then Paul's going to do two things, and this is what we're going to look at today. Number one, he is going to explain the Lord's Supper. He's going to explain what it is. We're going to talk about that. And then the second thing he's going to do, he's going to give warnings about participating in the Lord's Supper. And these are warnings that we should all take to heart. Um, I'm just going to say right now, um, everybody in this room could take the Lord's Supper if your heart is right. But if your heart is right, do not destroy yourself by walking up and taking that bread and drinking the cup. That would be an absolute nightmare. 
You know, one of the things I think about for church discipline, when you have people in the church who are committed to living a sinful life, one of the great blessings that the church will do is to say to a person, you can't come here anymore, and to kick them out of the church. That is sometimes an incredible gift, and it's an incredible gift for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons is if we kick somebody out who says they're a Christian and who lives in sin, then they're not going to show up here and take the Lord's Supper. And that is the greatest gift we can give. Oh, you don't care about God? You don't care if there's sin in your life? You can't come here anymore. Because if you come here and participate in the Lord's Supper, that would be a disaster for you. And often people think, oh man, they kicked somebody out of the church. How mean? No. When you love people who call themselves Christians and who refuse to do what God says, they should be removed for their own benefit. And by the way, there's lots of benefits, but not taking the Lord's Supper is one of those. And the terrifying things is when a person like that goes to a different church and then takes the Lord's Supper there. What a tragedy when that happens. So let's consider what is the Lord's Supper? Why is this so significant? Why is it so important? Well, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's um, just consider that for a, a moment. The first thing, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. You know, the authority of this teaching on the Lord's Supper comes directly from Jesus. This is what Jesus said about the Lord's Supper. You can read the Gospels and you get a description of what happened in the Lord's Supper. But when Paul, when Jesus talked to Paul personally, G, Paul wasn't there for the Lord's Supper. And Jesus prioritized that in his teaching and Jesus himself explains this to Paul. So if you were to bump into Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I wasn't at the Lord's Supper. Can you explain it to me? This is what Jesus would, said, would say to you. It's what he said to Paul. And Paul's just saying, Jesus told me, and I'm going to give it to you. Which is the way Paul viewed his whole ministry was, God, you give me your truth, and as you give it to me, I'm going to hand it out. It is no preacher's job to ever come up with his own stuff. It is no preacher's job to ever say to himself, hmm, will people like what I'm going to say? Is this the kind of message that could be acceptable today? Will somebody be offended by what I say? No preacher, no Christian should ever represent Scripture in that way. It is not our job to come up with a message that is going to be useful and acceptable and that people will like. It is our job to figure out what did God say and then deliver it just like God gave it to us. And the Bible says that in the end times, people are gonna want their ears tickled. They will not want the truth. And so sometimes people go, oh man, the church is growing, that's so wonderful. No, sometimes a growing church is a terrible thing. And sometimes faithful churches shrink. 
and unfaithful churches grow. That's not always the case in Acts. The faithful church, man, it grew. And that's one of the things I think is just crazy when you think about liberal denominations. You know, the liberal denominations in the United States are dying. The spiritually faithful denominations are growing all over the place. But you talk about the Methodist denomination in the United States and the Methodist denomination in Africa. The Methodist denomination in Africa is faithful. They hold to God's word. They're preaching God's word and they're growing. The Methodist church in the United States is liberal. They disregard what God says. Most Methodist churches are not even Christian churches in this country. And, and they wanted to vote on a, a moral issue. And the Methodist church is like, the church in Africa is growing so fast and they're faithful and the church in the United States is going down and they're like, we gotta vote on this this year because we think we could get the church to kind of accept this ungodly doctrine. And if we wait another two or three years, they're gonna stay faithful to scripture. So they actually had a vote and the African, the, the conservative part of the Methodist church won. And they said, no, we're not gonna ordain homosexual pastors. Like that was the issue. Liberal churches often die and faithful churches God continues to bless. But that is not always the case. It's not going to be the case in the end. And Paul is just somebody who says, what God gave me, I will deliver without changing it. So you want to know what Jesus thinks about communion, how he would summarize it? This is it. So let's consider these things. The bread. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and he broke it. Um, Jesus' body wasn't broken. He just broke the bread so that he could spread it out and hand it to the disciples. You know, it's interesting. It says on the night when he was betrayed. Like this is the thought of the fact that Judas, one of his disciples, betrayed him. And it's, it's a reference to the historical nature of what happened. Like this really happened. And on that night, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And uh, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, that is, by the way, a figurative statement. Jesus has not died yet. He is standing there in his body. And he says, this is my body. You know, Jesus said, I'm the door. Nobody thought, well, you know, put varnish on him so that he, he doesn't get old. And somebody sand him. You know, like Jesus, when he said, I'm the door, he, nobody thought he was a physical door. He was speaking figuratively. When he goes to the woman in the well and he says, hey, go get me some water. And then she starts drawing him water. And then he says to her, um, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me to give you water because I'd give you water. And if I gave you water, you'd never get thirsty again. And she's like, I want water. I'm tired of going to the well and drawing it out. Jesus was talking about something spiritual. When Jesus says, this is my body, he's saying this represents my body. We know that because he says, do this in remembrance of me. So he's saying, remember me as you eat this bread. And those disciples Every time they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it transported them back to that first Lord's Supper. They remembered, they, they could hear Jesus' 
words echoing in their mind and they remembered what happened and then they remembered what they saw next was him going to the cross. See, at the first Lord's Supper, they did not comprehend what was going on, but by the next time they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it all made sense. And so he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. Now, one of the things that we remember is we remember that Jesus had a body. Like, what stands out about that? That is that Jesus is God who took on flesh. He actually became human. He added humanity to himself. Jesus was the God-man. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus was a human, a God and human, and that he physically died for us on the cross. When the disciples, they remembered he was nailed to a cross. His blood was shed. He died. And um, that he did that for the punishment of our sins. You know, Jesus had to go to the cross because we had a sin problem that we could not resolve. Isaiah 53 says it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's what happened on the cross, and that's what we remember when we eat the bread. In the same way, verse 25 also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we drink the cup, we remember that, that we live under a new covenant. You know, when John saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know what they did in the Old Testament when they sinned? They would have to get an animal and go kill that animal. And they would kill that animal and they would put its blood all over the altar. Like there were sacrifices that had to be made when people sinned. And do you know what all those sacrifices reminded them of? That one day there was going to be the ultimate sacrifice that would take away sins. You think about the Passover, you know, in Egypt. And that's when Jesus celebrated this was he, he, the, the Lord's Supper. This celebration replaces Passover. It's the reason we don't celebrate the Passover. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. We could celebrate it, but this replaced that. And in the Passover, Israel's in their house, and they had to kill an animal and put the blood on the doorposts of the house. And if they did that, then God would not kill their firstborn. And anybody who didn't put the blood on the doorposts uh, of the house, their firstborn was killed. So this killing this lamb and putting the blood on the doorposts allowed them to live. And so they thought about that and they think about all the sacrifices that they're doing and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and his blood took away our sin. And in fact, when this is talked about in Hebrews, it tells us this, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and groats to take away sins. You know, there are people who think that in the Old Testament, sin was forgiven through sacrifices. That is not true. That never was true. 
That, that was a something that they did out of obedience. It was a requirement for living in Israel is if you sin, you kill an animal. And that was to remind people that the consequences of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah 53, God caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. The whole Old Testament pointed to this Messiah that would come and take away sins. And sacrifices pointed to the Messiah who would come. The sacrifices never took away sins. And people who, there are many people who read the Bible and they completely misunderstand that salvation in the Old Testament was by faith in God, that he promised, by the way, in Genesis 3.15, before anything in the law was written, God promised that he would send a Messiah. And so people in the Old Testament had faith in a a Messiah who would come, and they did sacrifices in obedience to think about that. In the New Testament, we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Could you imagine? It's a great lesson, right? If uh, every time one of your kids did something wrong, it's like, well, go get the cat. You've got to kill the cat. And Okay, now it's your, your pet dog. He's next. You know, it's like quit sinning because everything has to die. You know, what a terrible thing to have to be making sacrifices all the time. But we don't do that anymore. Now we learn about that by, we still learn the same lessons, but we're blessed. We don't have to kill our animals. Uh, We read about people who killed their animals. That's better than having to do it yourself. Hebrews uh, chapter 9 verse 12 talks about Jesus' death and it says this, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal uh, redemption. You know, Jesus, when he died, it's eternal. We don't sacrifice anymore because when Jesus did it, it's done. And so that's one of the things we remember as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that Jesus had a body, that he physically died, that God put the sins of mankind on him, and that his blood was a sacrifice for us. And so we don't have to pay the price for our sins. And by the way, that's the new covenant. In the old covenant, people had to make sacrifices. That's one of the things I want to say to every Jew that I meet that's still a Jew, is I want to say, where's the temple? And when's the last time you went and killed an animal because of things that you did wrong? See, Jews can't even sacrifice. They don't even have a temple. And and so the, the Jewish people have redefined Old Testament sacrifices as good works. So they just try to do good works and be good people. But if you read the Bible, that's, that doesn't work if you're under the Old Covenant. So if you're a Jew, go buy lots of sheep and animals, and every time you do something wrong, go kill one. Because that's what God says you're supposed to do in, in the temple. So that's the bread, and that's the cup. And then Jesus says this in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, every time we celebrate this, we are proclaiming. That's the word for preaching. This preaches the gospel. And and that's the sad thing is is that when people disconnect the celebration of the Lord's Supper from the gospel. So we are proclaiming the gospel every time we do this. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is also remembering that Jesus is gonna come back. And that should have a significant impact in our perspective on how we live life. So what's the gospel? Um, 
I'm going to just throw a few verses out there for you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reason Jesus had to go to the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So because we sin, we have to die, but because of Jesus, we can have eternal life. That's Jesus dying on the cross. That's what's proclaimed when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But you know, there has to be a personal reaction to that. It says this, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Those are the Jewish leaders that rejected him and crucified him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, in a sense, everybody's God's child in the sense that God made them. But actually, only Christians are the children of God in this sense, that you are in God's family. That is only true of a person who sees their need, who has put their faith in Christ, and who has received them. Only are they his children. It's for as many as receive him and believe in his name. That's trusting the work of Christ instead of our own works. And then there's this really awesome promise. For the scripture says that everybody who believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we're saved because of faith in Jesus. And um, there's something else that happens, by the way. And this has nothing to do with what causes your salvation. This is actually a reflection of your salvation. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Remember how I said you're baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment you become a Christian? That means the Holy Spirit lives in you. Have you ever read the fruit of the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the result of having the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, peace, patience, joy, <laughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what happens to a person when the Holy Spirit lives in them. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creation. The old has passed away. Have you ever read the deeds of the flesh? Enmity, strife, sexual immorality, drunkenness, all that stuff. That is what characterizes unbelievers. It's why he says here that there are divisions among you so that those who know who are genuine can be re revealed. And that's because when the Holy Spirit is in you, you actually care about what's right. It doesn't mean that you always do the right thing, but it means that when you sin, you feel convicted, you feel guilty, you are not happy. Um, people who are happy in their sin are not Christians. People who sin, who struggle with their sin, they feel guilty, they feel tormented inside, those are Christians. Uh, David, in the Old Testament, uh, he has an affair, commits murder, he's got that situation going on in his life for a year. But one of the things that he talks about is he says, every day your hand was heavy on me. And, and, and it's like I couldn't, I couldn't sleep and I, and I was in such grief and torment because of my sin. People who sin and are happy are not Christians. When you believe in Christ, you are saved because of his work, but the Holy Spirit comes into your life and it transforms you. And you start to hate sin. 
You know, that's Apostle Paul, right? He talks about sin in Romans 7. He says, I find myself doing the things that I hate. Okay, so that's a Christian who's sinning. They hate it. The Christians who love it are not Christians when they're sinning. People who say that. That's what Jesus meant when he said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out demons and do miracles in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are all the Christians who love sin. That's Jesus says to all of them, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why the Bible says, if you love me, you will obey me. So the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross, pays the price for your sin, and then the Holy Spirit comes into you and starts to transform you. That's the gospel. And by the way, we don't leave the transformation part out of what it means to be a Christian. That's the evidence. It is not the cause. It is the evidence. And then um, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming back. And it says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. You want to know what that does? We remember that Jesus is coming back. And that makes us live with a sense of reverence. You know, I think about 1 John, it says, um, abide in Jesus so that when he appears, we don't shrink back in shame. You know, all the parables that Jesus told about the, the servants that were wicked and then the master showed up unexpected. We live with reverence. You know why a Christian uh, doesn't just maintain like hostility and bad relationships and doesn't just go, yeah, I know God says this is wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You know why Christians don't do that? They know Jesus is coming back. They're gonna look him face to face. It's like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six where he says, um, he sees God and he just says, I am undone because I'm a sinful man. And Christians look forward to the return of Christ. They know he's coming back. And we remember that we are going to give an account. That was the Bema Seat judgment. And so Christians live every day. I hate that person. And I, I don't want to be reconciled with them. But then they go, but God says I have to. And actually, I'm going to obey God instead of doing what I feel like doing. And then we work on changing how we feel. People in marriages that are struggling, that are, that are upset with each other, they're having constant conflict, <laughs> come to the marriage class. But part of what lets you live your marriage the way God wants is you know what I do as a spouse has nothing to do with what my spouse deserves. If, if, if you're a wife, you, you obey what God says about being a wife because of God, not because of your spouse. And if you're a husband, you lead the way God tells you to lead, not because your spouse deserves it, but because God told you to, and you are going to stand before him and give an account. Jesus is coming back. And we have this urgency, by the way, to love and to encourage each other. You know, that's why we come to church, is because we think about the fact that Man, Jesus is coming back. We think about the people that God's put in our life and how much we love them and how much people that show up here struggle in their marriage. How, many, how much people in this church are struggling sometimes in relationships with their kids. How, how many people in this church are fighting these sin struggles where, where they feel miserable because they have sin in their life and they're trying to get it out and they're having a hard time getting it out. And it's like, but they're miserable because of it. And they're showing up here on Sunday morning. And there's people who are sick 
and people who have cancer, and people who have all kinds of difficulties and struggles, people struggling with depression, people forgetting why they're here, and they have all this stuff, and they're, they're overcome with things, and people showing up on Sunday morning, and they're living for their retirement account, and they're living for stuff, instead of remembering that Jesus is coming back. And so the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, don't miss church. And he says, don't miss church. Don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. It's like we show up every day. We never miss church because if you're not here, there is somebody that you could encourage, somebody that you could help, somebody that you could bless. And if you're not here to do it, it won't happen. You ever thought about that? You don't come to church because you like the music. You don't come to church because you like the sermon. You come to church because you actually have something to contribute. And even if it's something simple as, I want to show up on Sunday morning because if anybody new shows up, I want to smile at them and I want to welcome them and I want to say hello to them. And if an unbeliever walks through the door, I want to become their friend and I want to try to share the gospel with them. So we show up to encourage each other because we know that Jesus is coming back. And uh, by the way, that is a huge motivation for us to reach the lost. Man, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you realize your job is not the most important thing in your life. Where you're going on vacation is not the most important thing in your life. Whatever you're pursuing in your life is not the most important thing. That's what I like about Alex. Man, I'm walking around the lake and he's at work, but he's thinking about, does that guy know the Lord? I want to share the gospel with him. That's why God put us on earth. And the fact that Jesus is coming back reminds us we're going to answer to God for how we live. And it reminds us that other people are going to answer to God for how they're living. And if they don't have the sacrifice of Christ, they are in trouble. In fact, um, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed and he will render to everyone according to his works. And then he says, people who know the Lord, they're going to be blessed. But he says, but for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth. That is a description of a non-Christian. They seek what they want and they don't obey God's truth. For people like that, there will be wrath and fury, and there will be tribulation and distress for every human who does evil. And that, by the way, that's what he was talking about when he says there's a bunch of conflicts among you and somebody left. It's so you could know who's real and who's not. Because when you're living with the return of Christ in mind, you don't do things like that. And so he says, when we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming the gospel, and there's an urgency to that. Now, can you see why this is nourishing? That we show up, and on Sunday morning, all these things are in our mind? 
And then when we go home, we don't just engage in sin. We're not just surfing the internet. We're not just doing all the stuff because we remember why God put us here. And, and it makes us to be urgent about reaching people. And so then here's the warnings. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. You want to know what that is? That's just taking the Lord's Supper with a lack of reverence. A lack of reverence is when you ignore the importance of it. Some people show a lack of reverence for the Lord's Supper. They don't do it. Like they don't keep track of, hey, our church does the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. I want to make sure I don't miss that. <laughs> like they don't care. It's not on their mind. That is a lack of reverence for the Lord's Supper. When, when they do it thoughtlessly, <laughs> they're like checking their watch and here, give me some bread and cup. Man, I don't even like this bread. This isn't very good. Can we get, can we get some? This stuff tastes like... You know, it tastes like a, like a piece of styrofoam. Uh, can we get somebody to get us some good bread around here? Like, if you ever think about stuff like that when you're taking communion, like, that's a serious problem in your life. Um, living in sin. Yeah, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper. I hate my spouse. Really ticked at them. I know God says I'm supposed to return good for evil, but I'm just not going to. And you're going to come here and take the Lord's Supper? Or uh, throughout the week, you're just living in sin, you're lying, you're cheating on your taxes, you're doing things like that, and, and you're going to show up here and you're going to take the Lord's Supper? That is a lack of reverence. Don't take the Lord's Supper if that's true of you. Division, a lack of love. Man, don't go forward if that's you. Um, you know, <laughs> It says that if you do, you're guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And you think about the Old Testament, some guy takes the, the Lord's name in vain, and then they get together and say, God, this guy took your name in vain, what should we do? And God says, take him outside, throw rocks at him until he's dead. Uh, that's what God said about somebody who was irreverent toward him. You think about uh, this prophet in 1 Kings 13, and God gives him a message to the king. He says, um, go deliver my message to the king. Tell him he's not obeying me and he should start obeying me. And I want you to go there. I want you to deliver the message and I want you to leave. Don't stay, don't eat, don't do anything. So the prophet goes, delivers a message. This other prophet lies to him and says, hey, God told me to tell you to come to my house. And the prophet disobeys God and goes to the guy's house. Then <laughs> the guy gets up and says, you shouldn't have disobeyed God. And so on his way home, this lion kills him in the streets. And God's just saying, you don't tell other people to obey me and then disregard me yourself. He killed the guy. We don't approach the Lord's Supper with a lack of reverence. And, and people are like, no, that's the Old Testament. So Ananias and Sapphira show up in church and they lie and God kills them in front of everybody. We don't approach the Lord's Supper with a lack of reverence. And then he, so, so let me just say this, here's the good news. Um, I, I hope you guys all right now take a moment to think about your life. Think about your attitudes. Think about the way you think about people in the body of Christ. Think about whether you are living your life with the gospel as your priority. And if you're not, you can still take communion. And that's because all it takes to get right is to think about those things, to remember those things, and to confess them. Say, God, this is wrong. Forgive me for this. Help me not to do that again. 
That's all it takes is repentance for you to be right. You know, this is for the Lord's Supper. Have you ever heard somebody say, this is for Christians, and if you're not a Christian, don't participate? Well, we could follow that up with, but we hope you will participate because you know what it takes to become a Christian? You realize you're a sinner. You realize that Jesus is the answer uh, that you need. You put your faith in him. You commit yourself to following Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please take the Lord's Supper. Just become a Christian first. And all you have to do is pray. Say, God, come into my life and then please join us. Join our family, not in this, but just in life. So confess your sin if you're in sin. Become a Christian if you're not a Christian. But don't approach the Lord's Supper with a lack of reverence. Now, this is what he says in verse 28. Let a person examine himself. You should all be thinking about yourself. By the way, not just this week, every time. And eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. The bread up there and the cup up there is poison for you. Like we could just make a little cup of strychnine and say, drink this. That is poison for you if you live your life with a lack of reverence. It is an incredible blessing to you if you confess your sin and if you repent and if you remember what Jesus did. And this is what he says in verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill and a number of you sleep. Now I wonder how often somebody in church lives their life with disregard for God, celebrates the Lord's Supper, and then they get hit in a car accident and die, and everybody goes, man, I wonder what happened. Or they, they come down with cancer, or they have some kind of a, a serious physical ailment, and none of us know what God is doing, but I wonder how often that happens, and people are just like, wow, the randomness of life. And it's like, we don't know, but I, I wonder how many Christians are on our prayer list because they live their life with a lack of reverence for God, and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. So this is a serious thing. It's important, and I'm not saying that if you're sick, it's because you're in sin. <laughs> Please don't hear that. You know, Jesus sees this, this guy who's physically ill, is, is lame, and the disciples say, why is this guy like this? Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? And, and God says it's not because anybody sinned. It's so God would be glorified. Not all sickness, that's a result of the fall. But I will tell you this, if you live your life with a lack of reverence and you celebrate the Lord's Supper and you get sick, you should wonder why. So in a moment, I'm gonna close and the worship team's gonna come up. And as they're singing, just go up, get the cup, get the bread. Spend some time thinking about what this means. Take it on your own. And, um, but don't do it without repentance. Let me pray. God, thanks so much for your kindness, for your word. Lord, I thank you for your teaching on the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would help us to live lives that are reverent towards you. But that that would also be reflected in something that is so important as celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I pray that our monthly celebration of the Lord's Supper would remind us to live with reverence every day. In your name, amen.